Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and Chavruta, Yerdena Azben. Our daf of the day, Masech Psachim, daf Ayin Bet, page 72. So, our daf now embarks on the Gemara, which basically, you know, is supposed to pick apart the, that we've just read. Of course, what's interesting is that the fact that the Mishnah provided all of this dispute and difference of opinion and analysis means that there's a little bit less for the Gemara to be doing than we might have expected otherwise, right? So that then when you come to the Gemara and you're looking for what is it going to be talking about, it's not actually breaking down the case and the mission in the same way we might have thought. Instead, I would say that what this Gemara does is it provides really one basic story, one basic halachic issue, and then with many, many, many different incarnations of it. Uh, so I'm going to read through one and then just talk about what the different applications of it can be. Um, again, and here, what we're talking about really is, we're still talking about if you have intent for the one purpose, right? And But what happens when this gets messed up along the way, which in the Mishnah brings us to a case of being um, and in some of these cases that will be the question as well, but not all of them. So uh, specifically, let's see, if you're somewhere in the middle of, maybe even towards the end, it's a very long daf of Ahmed Aleph, we have a case of Brit Milah of two babies. Now, when you're talking about babies, you're talking about limit. There's a limit there, right? You can't say however many babies you want to do a Brit Milah on. You know, we're talking about very specific, a very specific number. Theoretically, you could do Brit Milah on more babies, but this is a case of two. What happens when they're born? Right, they're technically born on different dates, right? They're let's say twins, right? And they're born, or even if they're not twins, it doesn't matter. They are both born in such a way that the the one baby needs to be have the brit milah on Shabbat, and the other baby has to have the brit milah on Motzei Shabbat, right? Uh, Saturday night. V'shachach, and the person, the 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 Moel comes and he forgets. Let's say he forgets which is which. Umal etshel achar hashabbat b'shabbat. Does the brit milah on the first baby? Let's let's line this up so that we can keep everybody straight. Baby number one is born on um, erev shabbat, and the brit milah will be on. No, the baby is born on shabbat, and the brit milah will be on shabbat. Right, that's how that works. And then the baby number two is born motzei shabbat, and the brit milah can be motzei shabbat. Now. The mohel, that's going to be A and B. And the mohel comes and takes baby B, who's Brit Mila is supposed to be Mosei Shabbat, and does the Mila on Shabbat. Now, this is not the kind of thing that you can mess around with for two very important reasons. One is the fact that Brit Mila has a very specific designated time, right? As long as your baby is healthy, as long as there is no delay to the baby getting a Brit Mila to begin with, then it has to be on the eighth day. And if you do it on the seventh day, then you are not doing it on the eighth day. And that's exactly what's happened in this case, right? Not only have you done something on Shabbat that you shouldn't have done, namely, you know, taking a scalpel to a baby, um, which would be, let's say, some kind of injury, whatever it might be in terms of Melachan Shabbat, we also end up with the fact that this child has not yet had the Brit Milah in, a, in the technical mitzvah kind of way. So, the Mishnah here, I'm sorry, the Gemara here says that this, in this case, 
he'll be chayav, right? He's chayav for having done this action that is brit milah, but it does not count as brit milah on Shabbat. And then what happens, however, if you have two babies, Shabbat, so the first case was Shabbos and after Shabbos. Now the case is Erev Shabbos and on Shabbat itself. What happens? And if you, if the Mohel did the Friday baby on Shabbat, and in this case, there's a machloket. In this case, there's a machloket because Rabbi Lezer says, well, he's going to have to bring a korban chatat, right? Meaning, again, he's done the mila at the wrong time. Um, and and therefore, the mila, according to Rabbi Lezer, is not going to, is not, the question isn't, does it count as as fulfilling the mitzvah of circumcision or not? The question is, has that action been the kind of act that would override Shabbat, right? Let's take a step back and remember that the mitzvah of Brit Milah for a baby whose mitzvah is to have a brit milah on Shabbat, it overrides Shabbat. Like you, you do the milah on Shabbat, not in you know simply because there's a and there's a pasuk that says so, right? Like there's there's a whole limud of how you get to the fact that you're going to do a brit milah on Shabbat. So just by virtue of doing a brit milah on Shabbat, that's not the problem. The problem is that when it's not the right time that it can't be the Brit Milah. It doesn't function as a Brit Milah in that same way. So Rabbi will say the Mohel is Chayav Chatat because his, the Mila in this case did not override Shabbat. I mean, it, it wasn't supposed to happen. Rabbi Yehoshua Puter, Rabbi Yehoshua says he's exempt. Why? Because he meant to do a mitzvah. And the mitzvah's time had already come. Meaning the baby's Mila was supposed to be on Friday. It didn't happen on Friday. But this baby is already ready for a Brit Milah. Having a, a baby who missed the eighth day, so do it on the ninth day, right? A baby who you you give the circumcision too early, it's a whole different case. But in this case, he meant to do a mitzvah. And the very fact that he had that intent and the all the pieces were in place, pardon me, all of the component parts were in place for the, for the milah, meaning you have a baby who needs a brit milah, then then that's enough to make you exempt from bringing a chatat. Maybe Yeshua isn't saying, go ahead and do it this way, but if after the fact, you know, then then this is how um, it could work out, you would be exempt. Now, the circumcision case is interesting, and it's always very vivid, you know, this kind of thing of babies with different birthdays and that where it can be, they can be confused and their people can be confused. But what happens on the rest of this daf is a whole slew of other cases where there are confusions based on two things, you know, that, that are swapped and then, and it, and it messes you up, right? <clears throat> the babies are not the only one. So I'm not going to read them inside, but you know, we've been talking all along about what about the carbon Pesach and what if you confused it with something else? So that comes up and is again mentioned and then um, carry along on the daf. And you end up reaching the case of um, where you end up with meat that has already been cooked. And now do you know which one you have? Do you have kudshim meat or do you have, or do you have, here, I'm going to read just the, the terms themselves. You have a skewer right, of leftover uh, roasted kudshim meat. And a skewer of 
the roasted meat that is acceptable to eat, right? That it's fine to eat. And now you've swapped them and you've eaten the one that you're not supposed to eat in place of the one that you could have eaten. Now what? And then we have a more racy example of what would happen if, and there's a few different attempts to figure out exactly what this case might be to get it to work to be a parallel case um, where a man would have intercourse with his wife while she's in Nida, right? And so that would be, that would be a problem. He should bring a korban chatat. But, but that's like, that's too basic of a case. The Gemara kind of moves on from that and says, well, but what if instead of that, he was, he instead had um, intercourse with his sister-in-law who was waiting for a case of yibum, right? Yibum is a leverate marriage um, and it is affected through the sexual act. And let's say he did so, but he didn't mean to do so or didn't mean to do so at that time because perhaps she was menstruating at that time and that would then perhaps nullify, it doesn't, but perhaps it would nullify the, the act of this leverate marriage. And, and you know, I'm reading this and I'm like, well, those are interesting cases to kind of bring in to show the degree to which intent and, and the swapping of an error in this case could, could come into play. And I would say that I think, Yardena, that this is exactly one of our examples when the Gemara and Chazal were really probing um, how many different kinds of halachic cases can we explore these specific parameters of of the goof, right? Where you have intent to do the right thing, but the way it comes out is that you did it in such a way that you've actually done the wrong thing and might actually be chayav a korban chatat or some such, if it's because it's a violation of Shabbat or it's a violation of Nida or whatever the case may be. I, I, there's something so human about this page because I think we often think of sin as having great intent. And I think this page, this staff is really like, we mess up. And it's making me reframe a little bit like what the purpose of the korban chatas is. Like when we learn about the korban chatas, I guess like in school or when you read about it in Baikra it has this really, I don't know, almost like ominous piece to it. It was like you sinned and you bring a korban chata. When you read the examples here, it's almost just, it's it's an acknowledgement of I'm human, I messed up, I have to bring a korban to sort of recognize that like we mess up sometimes and things happen. And I, you know, I think there's something very nice about that. And it's really sort of- I'm so intrigued. I'm so intrigued that this is your take because I had exactly, I don't want to say the opposite take. It's not that it's opposite. My take was that these are not human cases. These are theoretical constructs to, to explore what would happen in the case of swapping babies, in the case of wife swapping, right? Meaning the, the examples seem to be so like, why would you... I understand, of course, people can mess up, but some of some of these so, examples right. are so it's interesting. Bit... The Mafarshim, particularly with the baby one, because it's like, how could you mess up which baby you did the bris on? You know, so some Mafarshim, I saw some commentators, they explain it must be a case where um, the two mothers with two babies were living in the same house, and it's almost like the babies got mixed up, which today sounds so crazy, right? Like that would never happen. But the fact that it's like discussed shows me that, yes, I think that one in particular of all the ones that are brought here seem very out of the bounds of normal human, um, of normal human behavior, you know, or sort of how could that mess up happen? But I think my point is, is that 
a chatas doesn't have to be something bad. It's just more, it's like something that has to happen when something doesn't go the way that it's supposed to go. Okay. Does, fair does enough. that make sense? As opposed to it's like you sinned and you know that it's like this big thing. Like I, I, I hear what you're saying. Some of these cases, again, they're very boundary pushing, but I think there is something also recognizing that like things do have, we try our best and yet it doesn't always happen the way we want it to happen. So you said something, I think yesterday, if I'm not blurring the days <laughs> that I thought was interesting. The days in of... with the deaf, but... <laughs> <laughs> and not just the deaf, um, but right. The, that, that, when you're bringing a karban chat, meaning here we've got a machloket, and again we've got a machloket, right? Between Rabbi Lezer and Rabbi Yeshua, to what extent, at what point do you incur a of chatat? And you said something about, like, you have to really have done something, right, that will incur a of chatat, and, and, that, and that the once you've got the good intent, meaning the right intent for the right thing, and it simply didn't quite happen the way it was supposed to happen, Rabbi Yeshua will exempt you from that korban. And Rabbi Lezer takes a much more stringent or, or strict approach to what that chatat is. So perhaps there is a machloket, you know, perhaps underlying their approach, their approaches, their respective approaches, is a difference between the two positions that you've just said, right? That maybe for, for Rabbi Lezer, a chatat is a, come on, you, you, what are you doing? Pay attention, don't be negligent, don't, don't have any reason to apologize. You do the thing you're supposed to do. That's your korban chatat if you mess it up. And Rabbi Yeshua says, well, of course, you know, a korban chatat is if you really, if you really mess it up, but if you only kind of mess it up, or if you only mess up a part of it, because hello, we're all human, you wouldn't actually incur the chiyuv. I'm not, I don't no, want to go too I, far, I, like I haven't that, looked into it, but so I like test it out. A lot. I, but, I think there's something to that. And that sort of leads into what I wanted to discuss here, which was Rabbi Mayer's opinion, which is kind of a different approach, right? There's Rabbi, Shua, Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Yeshua. That that primarily deals with Rabbi Yeshua's opinion, um, and and I think that's why Rabbi Yeshua's opinion is the most intriguing in a way because it's exactly as you said it. Like, where do we say there's enough of like the intentions were right? There were other circumstances we're not going to make you chayav. Whereas Rabbi Eliezer is a little bit more straightforward. Um, so the Gemara goes on. This is on Ahmed Bet wanting to figure out what was Rabbi Mayer's opinion exactly. Um, and so it says, Ba mine Rabba mi Rab Nachman, right? Rabba wanted to ask from Rabbi Nachman, Chulin Lishum Pesach, right? So if you have a case here, we're talking about where you slaughtered Chulin, took an animal that wasn't consecrated at all. You just took a random animal, basically, slaughtered it for the Pesach. Maili Amma Rabbi Meir. What would Rabbi Meir say to me, right? In other words, and we'll explain this. Amar Le, so Rabbi Nachman says, Poter Hayab Rabbi Meir, Afilu Chulin Lishum Pesach. So Rabbi Meir would say that you would still be, you would be exempt even if it was chulin for the sake of Pesach. Again, this would be that you shechted it on Shabbat, but it was a chulin that you did for the sake of Pesach, right? A totally unconsecrated animal. And Rabbi Nachman says to Rabbi, like Rabbi Meir would say, your pets are here. So now Rabbi asks a question. Right? So, but didn't Rabbi Yochanan say that Rabbi Meir agrees or sort of concedes in the case of blemished animals. That in other words, if someone shechted a blemished animal on Shabbos, right, then for the sake of Pesach, he would be chayab, right? Because the idea is that a blemished animal, right, a moom animal, it should be obvious to you that it had a moom. It was, should have been obvious to you 
that this was not an animal that was suitable for the Korban Pesach at all. And therefore you're high for having done it, right? You really should, you're sort of, you were negligent a little bit in a way. And so what, you know, so what Rav is basically saying is, isn't chulin the same way? In other words, how could you mix up a chulin animal? How could you somehow pull a random animal that wasn't consecrated to be a Korban Pesach and accidentally shecht it? In other words, there's a point at which the accident, no matter what the intention is, the mix-up, it should have been so obvious to you that there's no way that it should have happened. So Rav Nachman answers, right? Blemished animals, basically, these, right? They don't become confused, right? That's exactly the point. There's no way you could confuse a blemished animal. But chulin animals, they actually can become confused sometimes. So that's what Rabbi Mayer would say, right? In other words, a blemish animal, you should never be confused with. We're going to call that negligence, so therefore you're chayef. But with a chulin animal, they actually can get confused sometimes. So now Rav is going to challenge this. But is Rabbi, Rabbi Mayer's reasoning, right, based on whether an animal that's being slaughtered, right, that could be shechted, that it's confusable, right? That's what achlufe means with a Pesach, or is it not confusable at all? In other words, what it's basically saying is, is this idea of confusability, I guess, is this a factor? So in other words, if you take an animal that it could have been confused, so Rabbi Mayer is going to say, okay, it could have been confused, so we're going to say you're Pator, you're not Chayev. But if it couldn't have been confused, then we're going to say that you're actually, that we're going to say that you're actually Chayev. So what's he saying? So Rav is saying, I don't think Rabbi Mayer's issue is about confusability. But I'm a Rabbi, I'm a Rabbi Eliezer, right? Rabbi said in the name of Rabbi Eliezer, right? Poter Rabbi Meir, afilu egel Rabbi Meir would even exempt a case where somebody slaughtered a calf that was a shlamim for the sake of Pesach. Right? So we see that Rabbi Meir's reason there, the reason why the person is exempt, as we said, and this was refers to a Gemara, just the Gemara passage before, is because the person is tarried. He's preoccupied. In other words, this person has an obligation to do a mitzvah, right? And he's, you know, he's preoccupied. So he, he made a mistake and he shechted the wrong animal. But it's not because the animal ex- itself was confused. So in other words, you, you, you were preoccupied, which maybe led you to do the wrong thing, but it's not because you were confused about the animal. Whereas with the case of Hulan, right, Rabbi Meir should make, say he's patur because he wasn't preoccupied with the actual sacrifice itself. So Rabbi Nachman answers the following. Amr Leh, Rabbi Nachman says basically back to Rabbi. Treat afalgab below machlif. You can have basically preoccupation, right? That can allow you to be patur, even when the animal, it can't be confused with the Pesach. So Rabbi Meir would basically exempt you for this case of the Shlemim, because of this issue of being preoccupied. Machlif afalgab delo treed. You can also have confusability to make you pator, even when you don't have this issue of being preoccupied, of being tarid, right? So that's why for the Hulan case, you would be, you would also be pator. Laafuke ba'ale mumim, but this case of blemished animals is going to always be excluded to lo achlufe machlif lo mitari tarid. Because there's never, there's not an issue of confusability and there's also not an issue of being preoccupied with them. And I, I think, you know, this is, it's a rather length, lengthy piece, but I think this discussion around Rabbi Mayer sort of elucidates in a little bit more of a granular way 
Like what goes into making a mistake, right? What are all the different things that could happen? And it, this reminded me that, you know, when we have a medical error, I'm, I'm putting my physician hat on. We never say that it's like one thing that in other words, something that would lead to a mistake happening. There has to be like a whole set of circumstances that led to that moment, right? Like, and that's why very often when something unfortunately very bad happens, you know, they do something that's called like an M&M conference. Like you really go through the case and you go through it step-by-step to be like, what exactly happened? Like, where was the breakdown? And so in a way I felt like that's what Rabbi Mayer, well, at least, you know, Rav Nachman's explanation of Rabbi Mayer, like that's what he's doing. And what he's sort of saying is, is that it doesn't have to be one thing. Different circumstances are going to have different factors that may allow for this type of mistake to happen. And therefore, Rabbi Mayer, when there's a possibility for one of these mistakes, he's going to allow you to be pator. But the case of an animal with a blemish, there's just no excuse for why that animal ever should have been shechted at all. And I think that that kind of caps off the same discussion of what happens when you come to do the right thing and you kind of goof it and you've done the wrong thing, but with the right intent. And then we've got the outlier case of you should never have been doing that. You know, that's that's where everybody would agree that you've gone too far. Right. And I, I, you know, again, I think this it'll be interesting to see throughout our whole study of the death. Right. I think this was really the first page. It's kind of interesting to me. This did not come up as much on Shabbos. It did a little bit, but here it seems much more in depth. But this idea of, you know, messing up while because Shabbos was more about like, what are things you're not allowed to do? And you inadvertently did it here. This is really talking about you're in the midst of doing a mitzvah and you mess up. And what are you what what's your what are you hired for after that? And that's very different than Shabbos. Shabbos is about avoiding a prohibitive action. And this is about you're supposed to be doing something with shame mitzvah and you mess it up in the end. Right, right. That's exa- that's a really valuable point, I think. Right, because otherwise, just sit, sit and be careful. But the answer is no, no. Sometimes you have to actually stand up and do your mitzvah and pay attention and and pay attention enough that you can do it right. But what happens when right. you don't? Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this stuff and intentions and mistakes on the Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.